Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. is a painter and a collage artist. She creates abstract expressionist paintings and adds collage to them to create surrealist narratives. She has taught painting, drawing, and sculpture for the past eight years. She enjoys sharing her process with others and creating spaces for others to create with confidence. During the pandemic, she has been exploring the limitless possibilities of digital collage. She is currently teaching digital mediums to students and working on evolving and adapting her own practice. Please help me welcome Amrita Verdi to the podcast. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be so exciting. We always have a good time chatting. Yeah. And I'm so excited to talk about some of the projects you're working on right now because you do have a lot going on. Yeah. I thought we could start back to when you got a travel get to go to India. Yeah, so after my undergrad at Sheridan and University of Toronto, I applied to the travel grant and I just wrote about going to India. I thought it would be interesting for my practice. And it was just like, I thought it would be interesting to write about it. And then when I actually was told that I won it, I was kind of surprised. I was shocked that now I actually have to go to India and do these things. (laughs) What did you propose that you were actually going to do while you were there? So the proposal ended up being the same as what I wrote, but also very different. So like I wrote all these things that I was going to go to galleries and do these classes, but I didn't actually sign up for them at the time, right? Mm -hmm. So going there and like it being such a huge culture shock, I had to obviously change my plans a little bit. But then after my whole trip, I read my plan and I was like, I did that. I did that too. So it was interesting that it all kind of worked out for me in the end. Was that your first time to go to India? The only time I had been to India when I was like two. So I wouldn't really count it as anything. And this time, so I was happy actually that my sister came with me because my parents, they haven't been to India in like 35 years. And they were like, you're going to India? (laughs) So I was happy that my sister went with me and we ended up going to nine different states. Yeah, it was great. We just backpacked through India. What was the biggest culture shock for you or what was the most surprising thing that you just didn't anticipate? Well... I thought that I would like fit in really well in India because I was Indian. (laughs) I guess I overlooked that because there was a lot of like, oh, there's a foreign like to me. And I was like, hey, I'm not foreign. I'm Indian. (laughs) Um, But like everything from like your backpack to like the way that you talk, like even though I can speak Hindi and Punjabi, it's not the same way as they speak. 
from so they can even like fish out that I'm not from here just from the way that I speak or what I'm wearing. But it was, yeah, like I got to do everything that I, and actually going back to your question, the biggest culture shock was the fact that there was so much poverty around me. And there was like, there was really rich people alongside really poor people. And to know that you're born into this, like they still go by class systems. So you're born into like your, your opportunity and like what you are allowed to do, right? So it's saddening and it's disheartening. Like you don't really come out of your house in Mississauga and see hungry people. So Mm -hmm. every day you make a decision of like, okay, here's my food and here's maybe the food that I'm going to share with the people that are around me and learning that you can't give money to everyone. You can't give to everyone, right? Because I'm not rich either. (laughs) But to carry like a bunch of apples or something can make someone's day, right? Yeah, that's, that's true. You said you, you did most of the things you had planned. What was one thing that to this day, you're like, I'm grateful I got to do that while I was there? Well, I think at the end of my undergrad, I felt like, what is all this accumulation of artwork that I've made? I was taking a course called The Landmarks, which was like about the earth and like how we care about the earth and realizing that I'm using toxic paints. I'm using up wood. Um, So I'm like taking from the earth and I felt really discouraged of like what the true essence of my practice was. So learning how to make natural paint was really pivotal for me, I think. The first time I saw natural pigments in India, me and my sister were climbing a mountain. I was like, I need to climb this mountain. And like halfway through, my sister was like, oh, I don't know what's going to be up here. (laughs) And we saw a sign that said natural pigments. And I was like, okay, we're doing the other half of this mountain. And when we got up there, it was like they were all like disabled children who they were helping like learn skills. So they were like learning how to naturally dye things from the actual materials out on their land, using all the things to make colors and dye fabrics and create silks. So learning their process of how they made scarves and woodblock printing I took another class where I was using rocks, so like natural pigments and like scraping them together to get like the the powders of the rocks. And it would take weeks, right? Because you'd be grinding these rocks and then shafting them to get like their actual natural color. So like a lapis lazuli rock is like gray with a little bit of blue. So then after you rub them together, you have to separate what's the color and what's not. And then you have to bind them together. And it's a huge process for like this little bit of color that you get, right? And then you really value like when you add water to them and you start adding them to a page. It's a huge meditation because you've worked on these colors for so long. It must give you a new appreciation for historically how artists had to create their paint, but also how pigment is actually derived and how we just go to the art store and pick it up. Yeah, like we're so disconnected from where our materials come from that we forget that in between. And it really helped me see like where things actually come from. Like to see on this top of this mountain where they're making natural pigments, they were also making Starbucks bags. Yeah. So like your Starbucks bag comes from this like mountain in Caroline, India. (laughs) Okay, I wouldn't have expected that. 
Would you ever think of running workshops here or is it just, you think it's unaccessible or things that people wouldn't be interested in? I think it would definitely be hard to do it the same way because like it would be harder to find maybe the rocks that have the natural pigment in them, but maybe to do it so like you are finding natural pigments around you. So maybe we could go on like a forest walk and like find, I don't know, like golden rods or something that has color and then try to create them into pigments or powders. Mm -hmm. So just so you like use the colors that are around us. It would be an interesting contrast to see what you created there to what is here. What are the differences? What are the similarities? I know there are a number of artists. I've seen this in the last little while. Maybe this is with COVID. People have been playing more with natural pigments and dyeing. So there's definitely a a resurgence of that. Again, it might be like you said, that disconnect between what we actually buy and the natural world, finding that more organic quality. Mm -hmm. And I think people are becoming more aware of what they're using, what ingredients are in there, things that they're using. There is that resurgence of like going back to the land and like taking from the land and doing it modestly. (laughs) So then looking now at your painting, your travels have definitely come into the work you're creating. Can you maybe talk a little bit about some of the paintings you're doing and then even get into some of the digital work you're starting? Yeah. So through my undergrad, I worked a lot with collage and I still do. So a lot of my work starts with just a painted background and it's very abstract. And then I put collage into it because I always feel like there is like a deep narrative that comes from my work, even if it's like what I'm going through. So the collage kind of helps with that without taking from the fun that I have with the paint. So I can like do realistic renderings of things and it actually creates some kind of story that will like change when other people look at it. Mm -hmm. But what I realized was I was using a lot of magazines that were right in front of me. And therefore I wasn't getting like the diversity of cultures in my collage. So when I came back from India, I kind of started to relook all of my collages and try to see like how I identify and how the people around me identify and really trying to add some color and culture to them. And something that became really important for me was like taking collage out of their natural, like consumerist culture and putting them into these like abstracted painted world and Mm -hmm. giving them culture and giving them color. That's what started to present itself as being the most important part of my practice. Yeah, you can definitely see the cultural influence. And I could see how there was that shift after you came back from your travels They are very colorful. They're beautifully put together. And you even describe them as being very surreal-like, dreamlike worlds. Mm -hmm. So when you're putting together your paint and your collage, do you have the collage laid out ahead of time? Do you know what it's going to look like? Or do you just sort of intuitively work through the process? So ever since I started to work in collage, I feel like I just gravitate towards any kind of image, like whether it's through a magazine or like maybe I'm scrolling through Instagram and I'll like save a bunch of images. I'm constantly collecting and I just add it to a pile. And then when I create these abstracted backgrounds I feel like I'll think about something that I picked like a couple months ago and I'll be like, it's time for her. It's time for her to get on this canvas. Like, this is her home. And then sometimes I'll be like, yes, 
Like, this is what she's been waiting for. This is where she deserves to be. Like, not in a Nike ad, but, like, in this surreal landscape, just floating through blues and pinks. <laughs> so you don't really cut out as you're going then. You have it sort of ready and grab it then. It depends. Like, sometimes I'll immediately cut something out and then just keep it in a pile. <laughs> so is there a system for the pile or is the pile just there? Well, I'll say that there's method to my madness. <laughs> Under there, there's an astronaut. And he's, he's just hanging out waiting for his turn. <laughs> Trust, if you can remember that much, I would be just like, I know there's a pile of stuff. <laughs> well, because like the images that I do pick, they're important to me. They signify something and they show me something, whether it's an expression or like the the gesture, whatever it is, it stays with me almost. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to create a story about this because I was able to relate to that image. So I hope that when I add it to a painting that it stays relevant. Is it important that the audience understands your narrative and your story? Or are you accepting of people come to things with whatever stories they want? Well, I feel like people always... They do tend to ask me, like, what's the story here? And very rarely do I actually tell them my story. <laughs> Where it's like mostly I'll, I'll kind of curate the story to the person. Even if I don't know them or maybe I do know them, I'll kind of curate it so that, it, so that they can understand it too. So you can have a painting with six stories then? Yeah, it's very rare that I'll tell you and another person the same story about a painting do you ever document the variations in these stories or and that's like people are always asking me like I love when you talk about your paintings can you put a little blurb and I'm like well then I'll have to like actually decide what the actual story is and then I'll have to tell you what my story is <laughs> So I have been practicing that when I post things, I do like to put a little narrative under it, but I do like to keep it kind of open-ended so you can have your own opinion about it too. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a great way to go because, I mean, if you think of some of the historical work we look at in galleries, the curator might tell us a story, but the artist is not standing there beside the work saying, so I exactly meant for you to understand it this way. Yeah, exactly. So more recently, you've started to do some digital work. Has that come about as a result of the pandemic? I guess so. When the pandemic happened, I was coming back from vacation and I was like feeling so ready to paint. <laughs> and then I realized that Visual Arts Mississauga, they stopped teaching in-class staff and my studio was losing its lease. So I was kind of felt like I took a million steps back. So I stopped painting for a while and I started to create digital artwork on my iPad. And it was exciting for me because I had seen other people like animators work on their iPad and seeing like their process in the videos. And I just thought it was such a new and advanced way to make art. So it's something that I really wanted to learn. And when I did, it kind of took me out of that like artistic block that I was suffering from. It was a different way of thinking about creating too, right? Exactly. And I didn't have to worry about a space to create. And I also enjoy the limitlessness of pictures <laughs> and collage. So if I find one image, I can multiply it many times. I can erase it, put it back. Mm -hmm. So there's more room for error. 
And I guess too, it makes it a little more portable as well. If you're working on your iPad, you can take it wherever you go. Anywhere. And then I can just kind of turn it off and the mess is cleaned. (laughs) (laughs) That's always an advantage. (laughs) But I mean, I can say that I don't get the same like tactile feeling as when I'm actually creating art. Mm -hmm. So would you say then you need that balance between being able to do something so immediate and then also having that time to really make the mess? Yes, but I feel like after a day of full-time teaching art, I don't feel like coming home and making art. But the important part is to, to carve out that time for yourself. It really is important. Yes, so I'm still trying to find that flow in my chaos. I like that you call it chaos. Every artist out there is going, no, it's perfect. (laughs) So I noticed recently you had a post up that one of your digital, I believe it's one of your digital pieces is on a bus shelter. Yeah. (laughs) So my friend has a gallery that's called the Open Gallery. And she really works with hosting emerging artists and getting their work out there. So she's teamed up with a company called Manifesto, and I had the opportunity to have my print on a bus shelter. It looked really amazing to see. I'm sure it was crazy cool to go and check it out at the actual location. Yeah, it was really nice. It's nice to see that because like through my digital artwork, I feel like I was able to share my work more because I'm not one to like capture every moment in my life. And I feel like working digitally, it kept everything on the iPad. And then like my website and my Instagram are all there. So it was like easier for me to share that. Is that the first time you've actually had a large piece printed from your digital work? Well, that's probably the largest, but surprisingly, people do want prints of my digital artworks. It's been exciting, definitely. And are you selling them then directly through your website? Yeah. It's perfect. That sounds like a wonderful thing to do as an artist. I also noticed that recently you've started a project, but it's not a solo project. It's a collective with some other artists called Presence Mississauga. You want to talk a little bit about that? So... That is done with me and three of my really close friends. We've all met through like work or school. So it's Hiba, Eldiana, and Amanda. We are the curators of Presence Mississauga, and it's actually a grant that's funded by the city. So we were working with really just like elevating BIPOC local artists and giving them like a place and a space to share their voice with everybody. And just like amplifying cultural spaces and bringing new voices to those spaces. Can you describe some of the things that you've done? I know I saw a video that you released that was pretty amazing. Yeah, so we we did a lot of workshops and We created a lot of videos. It was really tough because we had to change our whole plan because when we signed up for this, we didn't know that COVID would last this long. So we really had to like refocus everything that we thought we were going to do. So workshops all had to be digital. Our shows had to be digital and we had to create videos instead of performances. So it was really nice to see how everyone adapted so quickly to things Mm -hmm. and was able to work with us through our like limit and how it was it was almost shared with a larger audience right 
I was going to say that to you. You probably reached a wider audience than had you done things just locally. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to use the artists that we know of and who are like, who are our friends and amplify their passions into helping other people. So doing workshops on their specialties and creating that video for Mississauga and seeing how much work it actually takes and how much effort and the the community that it takes to create a single piece of artwork was very special. We got to use the Celebration Square screens to host one of those videos. Videos. Everything is up on an archive at presencemississauga.com. And we are currently doing an exhibition at the Bradley Museum. So we have lots of local and BIPOC artists who are doing video performance and installations there. So it's nice to see that space just activated by culture. Well, it must be interesting to transition into this whole digital side of the art world from where you started as a painter. And now you're talking about videos and projecting them and putting them into the world. That's a big transition to make. Oh, for sure. And especially like even when I was in high school, I would reject new media. I didn't want to be on a computer. But I think when COVID happened and everything kind of shut down, I was like, okay, I need to make a website because I need to get my work to circulate somehow. I need to post on social media. I need to do these things, right? So just learning all these things has really helped me gain a larger audience and spread artwork into a wider range of people. You've mentioned that just before COVID, you were in a studio setting. Can you tell us a little bit about that setting, but also how did you cope with not being in a studio surrounded by artists when COVID came along? So that place is called Northern Contemporary. I just actually went to go see a show there and I ended up loving it so much. I was like, I need a space here. It did help me after my undergrad get out of my head a lot more about making art and it helped, it made things easier and I wasn't taking things so seriously. It was like nice to be around other artists and kind of like exchanging ideas with them. And me and my friends, actually, we started a life drawing class that would happen every week. And that was really nice because we would meet so many new artists and we would draw together. And the idea just came from the three of us being like, drawing together is so fun. We should get other people to draw with us. (laughs) And I was like, okay, let's make this happen. So we made it happen. And Getting that community was so nice. And then it being taken away was kind of disheartening. COVID happening was really, it was really integral for me to refocus on why I was making art, what I was making it for, and actually put intention into what I was doing and like how I'm going to get my art out there. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. If you were to go back, let's say, to the Art and Art History program and talk to young artists, what kind of advice would you give them? I actually used to love talking to the students that were younger than me Mm -hmm. because I always felt like I wish I had that. I wish like I had someone kind of walking me through things and telling me how it was going to be. So I would always try to help people in the studio and and tell them like, okay, this is what this teacher's looking for. This is what you should make and just helping them out. But what would I tell them? Hmm. What about like that transition? I mean, you talked about what happens when you leave school 
But what advice would you give them? To stay authentically true to themselves and to tell them that like, fake it till you make it. (laughs) Is that appropriate? (laughs) Because I feel like everyone's always telling you what to do. Right. Nobody knows what they're doing in actuality. And when you step into the workplace, you realize that like, hey, no one really knows what they're doing. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to start somewhere, right? So to just to have that confidence. What I'm trying to get at is that I feel like as artists, we have this imposter syndrome, where as the older we get, the more we feel like, oh, I'm not an artist. I, I don't do this. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. But as children, If you ask a bunch of children to say like, okay, are you artists? They're all going to put their hands up. Mm -hmm. But the older that they get, the less I feel like we are to say that we are artists, even if we are professional artists. It's hard for some people to say that they're artists. So Um, I'm going to ask you a really hard question. Yeah. Are you an artist? Yes, definitely. That's (laughs) not a hard answer for me. Um, I've always been really attracted to making things and creating. And my whole life is designed, curated as a work of art. And I feel like as an art teacher, I feel like sharing that with people that like you are an artist and to like really hone that talent and that ability. Because I think that the reason we start to say we're not artists is because someone once told us that you weren't coloring in the lines or you didn't do it right. Mm -hmm. And my whole philosophy is that there is no right or wrong to art. It's how you feel and what you feel. Giving them a project and then telling them, you can do it your way. It doesn't have to be my way or their way, mm-hmm. your way. And so choosing your own direction. So I think like the advice that I would start off with is being authentic to what you create because no one can create it the way that you can. Mm-hmm. So I always like to end off my podcast with asking my guests to talk about a book that they think other creatives or artists should read. It doesn't have to be art related, but something that you think will expand people's experience or knowledge as a creative person. Do you have a suggestion? Well, one of my favorite books is called The Myth of Freedom. Mm hmm. And it was traded with another one of my classmates. And I almost felt like I lost a really good book. And I was like, oh, I should have never traded it. Mm -hmm. But then years later, I opened up The Myth of Freedom. And it was so insightful to me to, to learn that freedom is a myth and that we are free. And it's just like our own limitations that we place on ourselves. And that book really showed me how your attitude and preconceptions to things they can start to create negative patterns in your life it showed me not to close off new opportunities and new ways of life and have you changed patterns as a result of reading the book yeah I feel like relating this back to COVID too like when everything kind of stopped in my life I was able to repattern myself and take out So maybe bad habits or ideas of how life should be. And Mm -hmm. it was kind of nice to start over and feel free. (laughs) That's great. I always find that you were very positive about things. So I can imagine reading a book like that, it just amplified your positivity. 
Of course. And it did help me take my negative experience and turn them into something beautiful. And I feel like a lot of my artwork stems from maybe something that I didn't like, seeing something I didn't like or feeling something that I didn't like, and then creating this like whimsically dark (laughs) story about it. So I have one final question before we wrap up, even though I usually end with the book, but just in talking about this book, I was just thinking, what's next? Do you have an idea of what you're going to do next or what your next creative adventure is going to be? Or are you working on anything at the moment? I'm really inspired from working with children again Mm -hmm. and seeing their confidence, especially my younger students, seeing that they don't really think twice about adding a color or drawing something they're so sure about what they want to do and I feel like my practice kind of like stems from learning from the children like Mm -hmm. an exchange of learning and teaching but just like something that makes me really happy as a person is forging wood and making fires and that's kind of like where my child's soul like lights up and it's like fire So I've been collecting lots of different pieces of wood and learning how to cut them myself and sand them. So I'm using like cookies or slabs of wood to paint on them. Still trying to find like my process in them, trying to add collage into them. I haven't shared many of my works yet with anybody. I think the fact that you said that you're exploring and you're trying things, I mean, something will come out of that in time. Mm hmm. I'm still trying to find what it is that I want to do with the wood and how the paint sits on the wood. Mm-hmm. But it's it's coming together. I'm like working the confusion in my mind out and it feels good to, to do that process. Approach it like you said, the way the kids do with that openness and determination. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I mean, I've really enjoyed hearing about your journey and the different things that influence how you think about and create art. I look forward to seeing what comes next. Thank you. I mean, I was so honored that you picked me to do this because once upon a time, I was your student. Oh, now the secret's out. (laughs) The secret's out, yeah. You were my high school teacher and you were a really pivotal point in me choosing the arts and realizing that the arts was a possibility because even though I was born an artist and like to create I didn't know that I could do it as a career and you really helped me take the steps that I needed to to choose the right university for me to help me with the my first job and yeah I'm really appreciative to you and in helping me get to where I am today. Thank you. That's really nice to hear. But, you know, you've had a lot of talent for a long time. And that was evident from the first time I met you. It's nice from my perspective to see you grow into the artist you are today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.